welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. On this show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song written by our friend Jazzy Bentley. So we'll talk about the movie in three different sections, Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things we love that make us tickled pink. This week, we're talking about The Blind Side. Released in 2009, the movie starred Quentin Aaron, Sandra Bullock, and Tim McGraw. The Blind Side is based on the true story of the Tui family, who adopted a homeless teenager named Michael Ower. After the family helped Michael finish high school, he earned a football scholarship and then went on as the first-round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in 2009. The summary for this on IMDb was like, a whole page. Right. <laughs> so it was, I, I didn't find like a tagline for the movie, but you love this movie. So I would love to hear your description. I think this movie is about found family, love, and hope with a little bit of football and Southern mama drama on the side. <laughs> a little bit of football on the side. On the yeah. blind side? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I... It, it... <laughs> It made me think about The Legend of Bagger Vance and how you were like, oh, this is a golf movie. And I had seen The Blind Side before, but it had been a long time. And I was like, oh, this is a football movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I forgot the football part. That wasn't the part I remembered. So. Well, but the interesting thing about this movie is that we don't really get to football until a good hour into the movie. Because it's, a, it's about yeah. establishing the relationship between the Tuies and Michael. And right. so... Right. Ultimately, it's about football because that's how the story ends. Mm-hmm. But to get there, like the movie itself, I don't really classify as a football movie. Yeah. Because it's I think not I about football. Yeah. Um, right. Even though football right. is very, very important. And that's actually the, the primary thing I want to talk about as far as Southern culture experience because Friday night high school football is a staple in the South. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they they broadcast it on the radio just like they do mm-hmm. NFL games. Yep. And ugh, I never liked football. I went to an arts high school. We didn't even have a football team, so I don't really <laughs> get it. But I recognize it for what it is. And, of course, I'm a big fan of Friday Night Lights, so kind of familiar with how football works and, and what that culture looks like. But – What I really liked about how this movie started was it basically opened up with a football lesson. There's a moment of orderly silence before football play begins. Players are in position, linemen are frozen, and anything is possible. Almost end in summer weather here mid-November. Then, like a traffic accident, stuff begins to randomly collide. From the snap of the ball to the snap of the first bone is closer to four seconds than five. One Mississippi, Joe Theismann, the Redskins quarterback, takes a snap and hands off to his running back. Two Mississippi. It's a trick play, a flea flicker, and the running back tosses the ball back to the quarterback. Three Mississippi. Up to now, the play's been defined by what the quarterback sees. It's about to be defined by what he doesn't. 
for Mississippi. Lawrence Taylor is the best defensive player in the NFL and has been from the time he stepped onto the field as a rookie. He will also change the game of football as we know it. You know, and, and I mean, like I said, we didn't really get to the football part until halfway through the movie. But by opening with a football lesson, the movie kind of did two things. It set up the importance of football to the story, but it also laid an even foundation for the audience because not everybody understands why football is important in this culture. And so telling us what a, oh, what position did he play? Left tackle? Uh, Sure. Left tackle? That's what he played? That's <laughs> I think what it he was played. left tackle. <laughs> See how well I, I did no in teaching me about football? <laughs> I remember but. that position. <laughs> Whether or not that was Michael's, I don't know. Right. But I now know that the left tackle is a thing in football, and I did not know that before this movie. <laughs> right. And so it, it does, it, it gives everybody the same information, and it's just enough information to get by. And I love yeah. that about this movie. I, I did too, because like you, I never learned football. I never cared, which is ironic because I was a cheerleader. <laughs> like I cheered at football games and I went to the high school football games and went to homecoming and ran out on the field to hug my boyfriend after one of the games. And it was like, all I knew was we won. I don't understand <laughs> like the other stuff. And almost everyone in my family is football crazy. UGA football is like a religion in our family. Oh, I yeah. just don't get it. I just don't get it. And I had never heard the blind side before this movie. I didn't know what that was. I didn't mm-hmm. know it was a thing. Um, so I learned some stuff. <laughs> yeah. But not enough to like care about football or attempt to carry on a conversation about it like I'm not there (laughs) right I understand yeah so what else stood out to you in terms of your experience with southern culture in this movie so much southern mama drama I'm so glad that you (laughs) came up with that phrase because it just fits all of these movies that we're talking about and let me just say Leanne Tui reminds me so much of my aunt Darlene right down to the hair (laughs) She has great hair. She has great hair. It's beautiful, blonde, always like perfectly coiffed hair. Mm -hmm. And there's so much sass. She's this fierce mama bear. And like, just because I know somebody who is exactly like her, um, even down to being a very conservative politically and religiously, but also having that much sass. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's in my family. And so that's very, very relatable to me. Even before I ever saw the movie, from the first time I saw the trailer for The Blind Side, I think the first thing out of my mouth was, she reminds me of my aunt. Which <laughs> I think is a great compliment because I love the character of Leanne Tui. Um, yeah. And apart from her NRA membership Republicanness, I would like to mm-hmm. be her when I grow up. <laughs> we'll just, you know, pare down a few of those things. Um, and I think the, the third thing that really stood out to me was Sean calls Leanne mama. Mm-hmm. And that just made me smile because that is something that I am familiar with, you know, that, that old married couples do, you know, my grandma and granddaddy have done that. And, 
like a lot of adult families in my life, the the husband calls his wife mama if they have kids. And right. the, the woman calls her husband daddy or papa. Um, and it's just, it's sweet to me. And it was very familiar. <laughs> it's so funny because we're on opposite sides of this too. It was very familiar to me too. Because um, I know a ton of people in the South who do that. But if I was married and my husband called me mama, I would smack him. So, like, I just, yeah, I found it annoying, but I also found it to be authentic. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, Joseph moved in with me a couple months back, and obviously we don't have kids. We haven't been together long enough to have kids, but I have pets. Like, I have two cats and a dog. And so he'll be talking to them, and he'll call me mama. And so it's come up, like, just in random conversation. He'll be like you know, mama's hungry or, you know, like mama needs a new pair of shoes, except not that actual (laughs) thing, but in that same spirit. And I caught myself the other day talking to my dog and I said something about daddy's home or daddy's hungry. And I stopped and I said, what the actual fuck did I just say? Where did this come from? I might make an exception for mama needs a glass of whiskey, but <laughs> there you probably go. Probably not even that. Yeah. 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 No. It's, it is. I will say, usually in, in my personal experience right now, when, when Joseph or I have done it, it has been kind of sarcastic or sassy. Mm-hmm. You know, in that way, like, you know, mama needs her dinner or or something like that but it's still something that's happened and we don't even have kids (laughs) (laughs) you have fur babies we do have fur babies but wow it's (sighs) but yeah the way sean did it with leanne was sweet and it was familiar and it was nice so that's that's kind of where i am on on my southern experience here other than the accents, I loved listening to Sandra Bullock talk in this movie. Oh, me too. Me um, too. When we get to the so tickled much. pink section, you're going to hear me talk like her, and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? What did you see that struck you as authentically Southern? I know this is something that, that we've really been talking about since we did last week's episode. And yeah. you know, since it's come out, the conversations we've been having on Twitter are what makes it Southern to us? And it's right. It's not just because it is, or it just feels that way, which actually is exactly what I just did. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> counting on you to dig a little bit deeper, Kelly. Why does this feel like a Southern movie to you? I think, so I've, I've been trying to put this together in my head <laughs> because I'm a social scientist and that's what I do. And when I say like your Southern experience or my Southern experience, I mean that in the most personal possible way. Right. Right. I mean, you and I are not even from the same state. Mm -hmm. So our experience of the South is going to be different. Like, but as we're watching these movies, some things feel like home to me and some things don't. And so I'm trying to figure out what prompts that feeling. Like, why does this feel Southern home to me, whereas something else doesn't? And I think it may relate to the way the women interact in the movies. It may be some of that Southern mama drama. And part of it may be things that I don't even fully consciously recognize yet. 
mm-hmm. because it's so deeply ingrained in me that it just feels like home. So I don't know how to answer that yet. I just know that I want to start looking for it so I can be more specific um, because it's fascinating, right? It's it's like a a cultural anthropological audio autobiographical journey like through these movies um and it's just really interesting to think about I think it's fascinating and I love that you equate southern culture with feeling like home like that's what you're looking for when you talk about southern culture that's what you're looking for and I I think that speaks volumes honestly about what southern culture is and how personal and subjective southern culture Mm -hmm. is for each of us now it's going to overlap because Mm -hmm. there are regional things regional behaviors regional traditions that create some of those feelings that make us feel like we're at home and so that's why we can have conversations like this and relate to each other and understand oh yeah that's why you put peanuts in coke and stuff like that Um, yes and and I think part of that for me, I moved to Missouri four and a half years ago. So I don't live in the South anymore. And um, a very good friend of mine, when I was actually packing <laughs> my house, we were packing books because I had way too many, um, talking about, you know, wanting to write and, and how different things influence you as a writer. And he said to me, you know, Kelly, you're not going to be able to write about the South until you move away from it. Like you need that perspective because you've lived in the South almost your whole life. And at the time that made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, what? Like, (laughs) surely it would be easier to write about it while you're in it. But he was right because like the, the things that I see when we read, you know, when we read these movies or the things that I'm thinking about when you and I talk and long after we stop talking, it really comes from being no longer in the South, like having that distance and living somewhere different and, and the things that strike me from that contrast. So it's really kind of untangling personal experience, memory, perception, bias, understanding, you know, and I love mm-hmm. all that stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I think you have to have the contrast to understand each side it's, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to think of that old, like, proverb or something that says, like, you, you can't understand happiness until you've known pain or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a very similar thing. Like, you, Southern culture, if that's all you've ever experienced, is just life. Right. Because you well, don't like know the football anything thing, else. Right? Yeah. Like, we were talking about football here. Well, when I'm home or I'm thinking about home and someone says football, like, I know immediately – how important that is to them. I understand the traditions around it, the social norms around it, the time people are going to spend on it, the conversations they're going to have, the clothes they're going to wear. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And now from being in St. Louis for so long, like, I understand the Cardinals game and the city's love of baseball and what the historical statues are for and why everybody's wearing red downtown. And I can't get to the interstate because (laughs) 100,000 people are trying to get into the stadium. But like I didn't have right that same. I didn't understand that before I moved here because not every city loves their baseball team like St. Louis loves the Cardinals. Right. And so it's just kind of, you know, 
putting on your observer hat and when you can put on your observer hat and look backwards at home, you can learn a lot about yourself too, which is, I think, you know, really interesting and fascinating. And I'm so glad that I have you to bounce these ideas off of because it's still a big mess in my head, Right. but it's stuff I want to think about. But for me, like the first thing that struck me about this movie was Tim McGraw being in the movie mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I listen to all kind of music. I love all different just more music than I can ever ever begin to list but I do listen to some country um usually older country than newer but I I like a lot of Tim McGraw's music and his song Southern Voice is part of the Blindside soundtrack which I thought was interesting but I had not seen him as an actor before the Blindside and it's really funny to me when you have like iconic stars in country music to see them without cowboy hats on. Like, oh, I yeah. remember the first time I saw Garth Brooks without a cowboy hat on. And the <laughs> first time I saw Alan Jackson without his hat on. And it's it's funny how it almost becomes like part of their, you know, costume or part of their, you know, persona. Um, and so that was like the first thing. <laughs> that I was like, oh, okay, we're going to see Tim McGraw as an actor and not as a singer in this, um, which I thought was, was kind of fun. Um but then I had to go look up his playlist and be like, okay, what are my favorite Tim McGraw songs? <laughs> because I don't know. I felt compelled to do that. Um, but I love his version of Stars Go Blue. It's so beautiful. And he's got this really fun song called Felt Good on My Lips and mm-hmm. a beautiful song called She's My Kind of Rain. So I decided to put you on the spot and ask you if you have a favorite Tim McGraw song since he's in this movie. <laughs> Uh, Tim McGraw was one of my favorites when he first came out, like way back in the 90s. Um, And I think most of my favorites are some of his early songs, Mm -hmm. mostly because when I hear them, they remind me of either my childhood or my grandparents, who also really liked Tim McGraw. Um, And so I'm going to say his the first song that I really remember being a big song for him was called Don't Take the Girl. Mm -hmm. I remember that. That one is a song that when it comes on the radio, not that it does very often anymore because it's so old now, but I will always listen to that song. Um, My granny and Papa were big, big fans of the song. I like it. I love it. I want some Mm -hmm. more of it. (laughs) Every time it came on, they would turn it up and they actually started singing along to it. And so I have very, very fond memories of that song. Then... Several years back, it, it's a more recent song, but it's probably still like 10 years old. Um, mm-hmm. he, he did a song called Live Like You Were Dying. That's actually about his father. Mm-hmm. And I just really like the message of that song. That's sweet. I <laughs> I used a, a Tim McGraw song to be the super embarrassing mom a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My son's first day of school, um, I think in 11th grade. I can't remember, but I I had taken this adorable picture of him and like his five best friends um, at, in front of the school before school started. And so on, <laughs> on Facebook, I put the picture up and I tagged each of these teenage boys and I put Tim McGraw's Humble and Kind mm. song on there and like mm-hmm. dedicated it to them just because it was so much fun being that mom. <laughs> and so... <laughs> like, Every time I listen to that song, I have to smile. But yeah, oh, it was just yeah. sweet. It yeah. was just sweet. And but for like some of the movie, I mean, you know, this is about a family much wealthier 
than me and much wealthier than how I grew up. I don't know anything about being a housewife or interior decorating or being wealthy. (laughs) Yeah. But Leanne's mothering style is a lot like mine. So, I mean, she's a gun-toting NRA Republican, and I'm a liberal heathen feminist Democrat, but I have been called a mama bear more than once. And as my son's become a teenager, I have taken in kids who needed temporary homes. Um, It happens a lot more than I ever realized. Um, I've seen a couple friends of his whose parents just literally kick them out when they turned 18, even Mm -hmm. though they're still in high school. Um, So I've, we've had, you know, kids stay with us for, for different periods of time. And I'm pretty stern like she is and no nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I push my son and fight for him and he knows damn well that he better do right. But he also knows that I always have his back and so do his friends. And I mean, if one of them gets in trouble, they're likely to call me for help because they all know they can. Right. And I, I just really relate to that from her because God help anyone who tries to hurt one of my kids. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> when she says I need a proper hug, I do say that to my son all the time. And I have since he was little, but only when it's special. Mm-hmm. So like it's just for certain occasions. Um, and I also leave the room instead of crying in front of him. So, like, her mothering style very much spoke to me. It was kind of funny, actually, to see someone else on screen and think, gosh, maybe I better dial it back. (laughs) Because I I do that, and I do that, and I do that, and I've said that. And... Yeah, um, she said something that my parents used to say to me, both my mom and my stepdad would do this. Um, the kids were running out the door and she hollers after them, have a good day, learn something. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and too. I'm like, I have heard that many a time. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things to do is like if I'm dropping him off and his friend's off is to roll down the window and yell very loudly, make good choices. Oh, yes. <laughs> they just... They love it, really. You're you're the best. It's you're the super best fun. kind of mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> but um but it was funny because one of the things I remember about this movie was actually um an interview on NPR several years ago that was trying to unpack some of the underlying racism and the idea of the great white hope in mm-hmm. this movie and Michael's lack of agency and him kind of serving a role or being used by you know different white people in the movie and I don't feel qualified to talk about that but it concerns me that it's there and it really makes me question okay am I able to enjoy this movie because of the privilege that I have and I don't know the answer to that but I tried to be cognizant of it you know at least while I was Mm -hmm. watching it But I am qualified to talk about the huge disparity of educational quality and opportunities between public schools and private schools or between public schools and wealthy and poor districts. And oh, my God, it is horrendous and it breaks my heart. And especially the public private school thing is is very much a big deal in the South. And I grew up in that. I went to a public school and then I got sent to a private school for punishment because I was a terrible teenager. Um, so I, I went to both and it's it's just awful. I mean, the, the whole educational system in the South is just broken. Um, so that just, there's so many things of the schooling and, and the opportunities there and the lack thereof that just broke my heart. 
But yeah. I don't know that that's limited to the South. I just know I see it a lot in my experience there. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm pretty sure that's definitely not limited to the South. I think yeah. we see it more in movies that are set in the South. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the racial disparity, which is oh, absolutely. frustrating. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it's definitely, definitely not limited to the South. Yeah. But I didn't put that issue so much in the bless your heart section just because it was something I related to in mm-hmm. my experience of the South. So, but what was in your bless your heart section? What did you not like about <laughs> this movie? I really only had one thing that really, really frustrated me. And it was the male teacher at the private school. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been teaching Michael for months and he asks somebody, what about the big kid? Well, the big kid's been here for a month. He's still not cutting it in my class. Or yeah. that big kid did this. And I'm just like, bitch, he's your student. You know his name. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? And then, you know, he just continued to be antagonistic towards Michael. Like, we didn't actually see the two of them interact. We only ever saw this teacher talking about Michael to other teachers mm-hmm. and he was just not on board. He was not supportive. He did not care about Michael. He did not care about Michael's education. He didn't want to help him in any way. And I just wanted to reach through the television screen and punch him. Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> so much. Yeah. That's, that's where I ended up on that. And I think, <sighs> I mean, that's that's not a problematic Southern thing. That's just a problematic human thing. And it happens yeah. all over the place. Well, and, it's a problematic uh, bad teacher thing. And yeah. that's what volcanoes are for. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, it makes me so mad. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there were definitely other things that kind of got my hackles up when I was watching this. But the overall message of hope and love just kind of overshadowed overshadowed most of the big stuff for me. So um, I didn't find myself super upset when I was watching this just because I was so moved by what was happening on the screen because I'm and a I big I love that sap. about you. <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure you have more than one item on your list. So why don't you do. tell us? <laughs> so my first was um, with the, the coach during the kind of admission hearing when everyone was reviewing, you know, Michael's files and the coach said, forget sports, you know, and we need to do this because it's the right thing. And he deserves an education. And I wanted so badly to believe him. And I did not believe him for one second. Did you notice how they framed that shot? Yeah. With the motto of the school directly behind his head and it's neighborly Christian academic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And oh like, my god. Like, they're like beating even. us over the head with it even though we know that's not true. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I just uh, it was mm. Yep, it made me very mad. And then all of the teachers coming together to complain about the admissions office letting the student in saying, you know, they're setting him up to fail. And and then that one science teacher who found Michael's writing, you know, and she was like, look, listen to this. He writes beautifully. And she read that white walls, you know, piece that he had written. And that same teacher that we want to punch 
very snarkily said, how's the spelling? And if I had been in that conference room, I think I would have to have you bail me out because, <laughs> oh, yeah. my God, like evidence of his intelligence and creativity and compassion and self-awareness was all there in that writing. And any teacher who cannot see that should not be teaching. So, and then just, just the, the poverty and neglect that Michael lived in. I mean, it literally hurt my chest in parts, you know, watching him carry that grocery sack with his shirt in it, you know, waiting until dark for the bus to leave school, eating the leftover popcorn at the game, you know, having to wash his stuff at the laundromat by himself, being evicted from his apartment. Like, no child should live like that. And it just crushed me. I just, mm-hmm. it, it was just awful. Um, and then that first night when Leanne brought him home, when she was worrying about him stealing from them, that pissed me off. And the lunch ladies and her kind of giggling over the projects pissed me off. And the racial jokes throughout you know, the guy at the football game and the jokes about Michael and the Christmas card, and the redneck jokes, like there was just too much of that that was too easy in the mm-hmm. movie. Like it was just expected and it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person that kind of made me the maddest on Michael's behalf was the NCAA, like ethics enforcer, mm-hmm. who made him feel that the Tuies didn't really love him at all. Like she was really attacking that part of his identity and questioning their motivations and making him doubt it and bullying him. Mm-hmm. And and to try to take something like that to make a child doubt other people's love for him in that way yeah, just infuriated me. Um, and no one actually asked Michael where he wanted to go to school or if he even wanted to play football. Um, and then in that one scene when he was back home and he got in the fight and he had a gun drawn on him, I just... I was terrified for him. Mm-hmm. I had seen the movie before and I was still terrified for him. Right. So, like, I just, Even though that, you knew that it was based on a true story and yes. this kid grew up to be an NFL ba- uh, football player. Yes. I was still <laughs> absolutely terrified for him. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, no, I get it. I totally get yeah, it. I just, you know, but it, it was just hard to watch some of that. You know, it's it's hard to see someone suffer like that and yeah. and to ache for wanting to comfort any kid who is not having that kind of care it just it kills me it just mm-hmm. kills me and i don't know if that's because i'm the mother of a teenage son or just i don't know what it is but it's hard to watch it's because you're a good human being who has empathy for other people oh Thanks. <laughs> Even though I probably would have really thrown that guy in the volcano. <laughs> well, that's okay, too. I mean, just because you have empathy for people doesn't mean you can't be angry. Well, there you go. <laughs> so what did you love? Because I know you love this movie. What tickled you pink? <sighs> Everything Sandra Bullock did or said in this movie <laughs> is kind of where I am on that. Get your feet off my dash. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. This is it? This is all you got. Why does it say big and tall on the sign? What will your daddy say? Um, before or after he turns over in his grave? Daddy's been gone five years, Elaine. Make matters worse, you were at the funeral. Remember? You wore Chanel in that awful black hat. Look, here's... I don't need y'all to approve my choices, all right? 
but I do ask that you respect them. You have no idea what this boy's been through, and if this is gonna become some running diatribe, I can find an overpriced salad a lot closer to home. Leanne, I'm so sorry. We didn't intend to... No, we didn't, really. I think what you're doing is so great. To open up your home to him and... Honey, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing mine. Who died and made him bear bright? <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm not cutting, I'm just asking. Let me tell you something, all right? We have been sitting around here for over an hour, and when I look around and all I see are people shooting the bull and drinking coffee. Who runs this place? Give me a minute, Bert. We're in the middle of practice, Leanne. You can thank me later. Okay. What'd you say to him? You should get to know your players, Bert. He tested 98% in protective instincts. I said you could thank me later. It's later, Bert. Hello? Enough with the trick plays, Bert. Run the dang ball. Hey, crotch mouth. Yeah, you. Zip it, or I'll come up there and zip it for you. Yo, deliverance. You see number 74? Well, that's my son. No, you hear me, bitch. You threaten my son, you threaten me. You so much as cross into downtown, you will be sorry. I'm in a prayer group with the DA, I'm a member of the NRA, and I'm always packing. But I promised that I would talk like Sandra Bullock, so here, here we go. Run the dang ball. <laughs> That's my favorite thing that she said. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's so much good. So much good. Um, and, and a lot of it is sass. Not all of it is sass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when the lunch ladies finally calm down because she tells them shame on you for the things that they're saying you know they finally look at her and one of them says honey you're changing that boy's life and she just looks down and she smiles and she says no he's changing mine and that gets me every time every single time it was a good line yeah um when she's talking to Bert I said you could thank me later it's later Bert (laughs) I love that one too I love it just (laughs) I mean, she had so many good lines. It, it, it's hard to pick. So I'll just play them all. It'll be great. <laughs> well, you've got one more on here, though, that I want to hear you read. That starts with yo. I have to hear that from Mandy Kay. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. I don't think I can do that line justice. <laughs> I, I think I hit my limit with run the dang ball. But Run the dang ball. <sighs> Hang on, let me kind of get in my groove. Yo, Deliverance, you see 74? Well, that's my son. There you go. <laughs> wasn't quite Southern enough. No, that line that wasn't quite made Southern me enough. laugh, like really, really laugh. <laughs> she also called him crotch mouth, which was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good too. Yeah. It was good. Um, besides her one-liners, I loved, <laughs> loved that Leanne doesn't, want to adopt Michael without telling his mama like his mother has no rights anymore he is a ward of the state like they took her they took her kids away from her she has no claim and the state doesn't have to tell her anything 
but Leanne is so compassionate enough and she, she's a mother. She understands. She takes it upon herself to find this woman and tell her that she's taking care of her son. Mm-hmm. And that is just a moment of compassion that makes me love her. Yeah. Like yeah. when I see humans treating other humans that well, it, ugh, it just, it, I, it's the opposite of it breaks my heart. It fills my heart. You know, it just, <laughs> it gives me warm fuzzies and it, it gives me hope for humanity mm-hmm. to see because nobody's ever given this woman a chance. Nobody's right. ever given her anything that she didn't deserve, you know, and, and so for Leanne to do this just out of the goodness of her heart really, really spoke to me and made me happy. Mm-hmm. In the warm and fuzzy vein that the teachers who wanted to help Michael, mm-hmm. um, apart from the jackass man, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and once they realized that he was listening, that he was smart, he just had problems writing things down and and getting his thoughts on paper and they started giving him his test verbally and helping him and coaching him seeing them invest in his education and invest in his self-worth was wonderful yeah yeah and it was and then <laughs> when all of the college coaches come to to scout for Michael at that football practice and Mm -hmm. Leanne just walks right up and she's this tiny little woman standing in the middle of all of these coaches as if she has every right to be there. She is one of them and she is going to know what's going on. (laughs) It's amazing. Yep. Mama bear in high heels. Absolutely. And then there was a really good line from Sean, AKA Tim McGraw. And this was (laughs) right after they hired Kathy Bates to be, his tutor. And he said to Leanne, who would have thought we'd have a black son before we knew a Democrat? Yeah. I thought when she told me, Kathy Bates told them, she said, there's something you should know about me before you hire me. I'm a Democrat. Like that actually (laughs) struck home for me because as one of the few left-wing voters in my family, I was like, yep, I would have to tell people that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the awesome thing is, is that is a line that Sean actually said in real life. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because Miss, what's her name? Kathy Bates, the, the tutor really was a liberal and was basically the only liberal <laughs> friend they ended up having, <laughs> which is fantastic. <sighs> yeah, this movie is fantastic. It's really good. I mean, it, it does have some problematic areas, but it's so good. Yeah. It gave me the warm fuzzies, too. Oh, it I'm did. so glad to hear that. Please tell me all about it. <laughs> well, the opening line um, about the football lineup and when she said anything is possible, kind of at the beginning of the game, I thought, okay, that's intriguing. I liked it. And then you kind of had the these claps going along with her counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And I really liked the musicality of that. hmm And I think that that kind of count is something a lot of moms do. Um, Like I hold my breath when my son putts when he's playing golf. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I do one Mississippi, two Mississippi when I need to hold my temper in check. Um, But I just, I liked the pacing of that and kind of her self-awareness and her explaining it. And I just, I really liked that as an opening. And I say that as someone who does not care about football at all. 
Mm-hmm. But my favorite part of the whole movie was Quentin Aaron's portrayal of Michael. That kid stole my heart. I mean, every time he smiled, that smile just ripped me to pieces. Mm-hmm. Like that gentle, quiet soul with that good heart and that protective instinct that he had. I just, I'm telling you, he was amazing and it was acted so well and it was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic just with his facial expressions. He could yeah. convey so much without so saying a much. word. It was, it was amazing. Um and when Leanne first picked him up in the rain and brought him home and asked him if he had a place to stay, and she said, don't you dare lie to me, I would have done the same thing. Um, and I would have taken him home, except I would have made sure he had dinner. Like, it really <laughs> bugged me that she tucked him into bed and didn't make sure he had eaten first. Like, that <laughs> seemed like a miss to me. Right, okay. You know, but <laughs> yeah, but I sense. think... Yeah, one of my favorite lines from Leanne was when the person behind her honked at her. And she just yelled back, don't get your panties in a wad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, that is the thing you say. Um, and when she found out that Sean had already put his contact information in for medical emergencies for Michael. And she just kind of smiled and said, I love that man. Like, mm-hmm. that was such a sweet moment. And I'm not usually a sucker for those kind of moments, but I thought that was really sweet. (laughs) And when the teachers finally started acting like teachers, (laughs) I was like, yes, that's how you do it. If a child can't write his ideas down, but he can tell you what he knows, you give the test orally. That's how it works. And so I, I was glad to see them finally remember their occupations and act like teachers. And I loved Leanne reading picture books to all the kids, even the kids that thought they were too old for it, because I just thought that was great. And when she told her friends, I don't need y'all to approve my choices, but I expect you to respect them. Mm -hmm. I love that badass line. And I loved little SJ coaching Michael in football. (laughs) And I loved SJ and Michael singing and dancing in the truck. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Michael, you know, being so fast on his reflexes to save SJ from the airbag, I just thought was Mm -hmm. amazing. Um, But when they asked Michael, would you like to become part of the family? And he said, I kind of thought I already was. And you get this repeated reaction from her where she says, well, all right then. And then she walks away because she's got to (laughs) cry. I just really love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Leanne out coaching the football coach. Yep. And she kind of says, you should get to know your players, Bert. And I was like, I just love this woman. She was she was awesome. And um, when Kathy Bates was tutoring Michael and he said, I don't understand. And she said, yet. You don't understand it yet. And I, I was like, I cheered stronger for that than the winning the football game. Oh, yeah. That's how you teach, you mm-hmm. know. And I really loved Tim McGraw quoting uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson with the charge of the light brigade. 
you know, and, and giving that into the Valley of Death, Road to 600, and having that inspire Michael's essay about hope and courage, which I thought was beautiful. And Michael standing up to the lady at the NCAA saying, you know, hey, you never asked me why I want to go to Ole Miss and kind of reclaiming that for himself. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of the movie, we get that real clip of the real Michael Orr and the pictures of, of the real family. And I thought that was great. I really enjoyed yeah. seeing that at the end. Yep. So, yeah, but it did. It gave me warm fuzzies and it made me cry in more than one place. So gushy southern love for this movie (laughs) i do believe we have a first yeah she said reluctantly (laughs) well i mean not you crying um because i think you've cried before but this is the first time i think that your tickled pink section is longer than the bless your heart section (gasps) maybe you're rubbing off on me mandy (laughs) (laughs) i did i just you know i mean I'm, i'm watching her in action mother the way that I mother and yeah I got all the warm fuzzies yeah (laughs) I think we might have saved the best for last here maybe so maybe (laughs) so so did you have other thoughts about this movie that didn't fit into our buckets I did I was really curious about how much of this movie was Hollywoodized rather Mm -hmm. than being true to life especially since this movie was based on a book that was based on real life Right. (laughs) So it was kind of diluted a little bit. But I was surprised to find out so much of it really was accurate. Um, Oh, that's awesome. They did change the name of the school because the school was wary of having their real name in the movie for some reason. I don't know. But a man named Tony did advocate for Michael when he enrolled his own son. And the football coach did lobby for Michael to be accepted. Um, Sean really did see him getting leftover popcorn in the gym. Um, but he, he introduced himself to Michael that day. Um, so that was the first time Michael met any of the twoies. And then he set up a lunch account for Mike the next day at the school. Oh, that makes me so happy. They did actually meet him during Thanksgiving break, like they did in the movie, but Leanne didn't take him in immediately. It took a couple of months. He really had never had a bed. Oh God. Um, he also really did write white walls. Um, But I think the biggest thing that was an issue was he didn't have to learn how to play football. And Leanne never had to walk on the field to help him. Um, Mm -hmm. And the liberties that were taken in that scene upset Orr because he'd always had a passion for the game. But he did admit that it told a good story. Oh, (laughs) I love the research that you did on that. I didn't know any of that. And I I had had even more warm fuzzies now. (laughs) But I think the best thing for me is that he actually did carry an opponent off the field. I love that that. when the guy said, where were you taking him? And he said to the bus, it was time for him to go home. (laughs) Yep. He really did do that. He didn't get him over the fence, um, but he did try to carry him off the field and he was penalized for excessive blocking because of it. Excessive blocking. That was, that, I'm so glad that that really happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am, I am pleasantly surprised at how, accurate the movie was even though they did of course hollywoodize it i mean leanne was never confronted by gang members and and that sort of thing didn't happen that was just to add conflict and something besides warm fuzzies into the movie um Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm really glad it makes me feel better about all of my sap (laughs) (laughs) i think your sap is sweet (laughs) and the good kind of sweet not the bless your heart 
right southern kind right. of sweet <laughs> the good kind of sweet yeah so what about you what what else did you have that didn't really fit anywhere else well I think and maybe I just didn't like the coach but the coach saying normally when I get a kid from a troubled background they can't wait to beat somebody up on the football field it it assumes an underlying violence in in men or in in kids who come from a tribe a troubled background and we don't do men any favors by assuming or encouraging violence and just because you've experienced violence does not make you violent and expecting that or hoping to see it and being disappointed when you don't find it really bothered me mm-hmm. like i just you know what are we saying about masculinity and and hell what are we saying about football like no wonder <laughs> i don't like it you know <laughs> And um, the conversation between Leanne and Michael's mother that you were talking about just broke me to pieces because having to see, you know, his biological mom, you know, when Leanne asked her, would you like to see Michael? And she said, no, like, I can totally understand why she would not want him to see her if she was, you know, kind of in the state that she was in, but you could see how much pain she was in too. And it's just... It's so hard, you know, being a parent is so hard and I just, it just, I don't know, it just made me ache, you know, it was, it was just heartbreaking. Um, And when Michael called Leanne mama, I lost it. Like, (laughs) I lost it. I was crying for real, especially because it's that phone call and your kid's in trouble and they need you and you hear mama and what you really hear is I need your help. I need you, you know, and it was so perfectly acted and it just ripped me to little pieces. Um, And some of my son's friends call me mama and that sort of kills me too, because what they mean is I need help. Um, And I think way too often we write off older teenagers as grown Mm -hmm. and they still need to be mothered. You know, they, they still need that. Um, And I, I just, I loved it in the story, but it also just tore me up. So, yeah, I don't know. But I did. I really liked the movie a lot more than I remember liking it the first time I watched it. I honestly think this is the first time I've ever watched it where I didn't actually cry. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, tears welled up. Like, my eyes were not dry, but tears did not fall. And I think <laughs> it's because I was distracted because I was taking notes and... Yeah. Um, that that does affect the experience just a little bit, but mm-hmm. this is definitely an emotional movie. Yeah. Yep. I had to take my glasses off so I could see my notes because I was crying oh. too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't happen to me very often. Yeah. So. Well, this very emotional movie wraps up season one of Southern Fried Pop Culture. And it's been so much fun. Yeah. Did you have a favorite movie or episode that we did this season? I did. Um, my favorite movie was probably The Legend of Bagger Vance, which surprises me because my cousin Vinny has been a favorite for years and years. And I adore Where the Heart Is. But the movie that stuck with me most, and I think part of that was from our conversation about it, was Bagger Vance. But my favorite Southern Fried Pop Culture episode was us talking about fried green tomatoes because it was so much fun to talk about that movie with you. And I think that I love the movie now more because of your appreciation and because of watching it with you. 
Um, and that was so much fun. I just, I got so tickled, you know, listening to that episode and we, we just yeah. had so much fun with that. Oh, yeah. It was great. We did. Yeah. You know, and as we get into season two, you know, I want to think more about why a movie feels Southern to me. Like I, I would love to have a personal philosophical framework for that. Um, but it's challenging and making me think about things in a new way. And like, that is the most fun. So it's <laughs> like, it's great. <laughs> so what about you? Do you have a favorite movie and episode or thoughts for season two? I think my favorite episodes were Steel Magnolias, just because it was the first one that we did. Mm-hmm. And Fried Green Tomatoes, because like you said, that was just so much fun. <laughs> like just talking to you about it was so much fun. Um, although this episode is, is up there, too. I mm-hmm. love, love that we did a movie that finally got you all in the warm fuzzies. <laughs> it got you right in the feels. It really did. Honestly, though, I've loved them all. Even the movies that I wasn't super excited about to begin with. Mm-hmm. They've all they've all been great. Especially getting the chance to come talk to you about them has been awesome. Um I think the movie that I love the most that I hadn't previously seen, so it wasn't a movie I could already say I love, um, was something to talk about, which surprises me, considering how problematic that movie was. I really liked it. (laughs) All I will ever think of with that movie is Mandy Kay saying, misogyny and no sugar in the tea. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's what it was. Oh, I cannot wait to watch more movies with you in a few Me months. Me too. Oh. Me too. I can't wait yeah. to make the list for season two. Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely hope that we are more cognizant of what makes a movie feel Southern to each of us instead of just saying because it did. Mm-hmm. Like I did in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work on that. That That's a thing that I, I for sure need to work on. I, it's going to be great, though. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm so glad that you asked me to do this. It has just been a blast. And I love podcasting with you. You are wonderful. Oh, you are wonderful. We are wonderful together. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) And we will be back with season two in August. But until then, we want to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, use the hashtag SFPOP and tell us which movies you'd like us to cover in season two. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones at southernfriedscholar.com or on the Still Dead podcast with Lonnie Dinerich. And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our awesome show music. And thanks, y'all. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't walk around to go pick. I've got a lot to say about today's modern art. There's stories and there's counterpoints, and I have got my unique voice. I'm a professor who says, bless your little heart. Southern Fried Pop Culture is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.